So um, we're going we're gonna to look at, it, at this uh, piece of scripture here, uh, the series, as you know, Overflow. And uh, I would encourage you, I know this is, not everyone necessarily does this, but um, this is what I believe, and it's what I do as a practice. And so just be aware that I, I always like to, whenever there, I, I hear a teaching or something, whenever I come to the Lord's house, and in the, when I was growing up, this is certainly true, when I go to other places, I always believe that God is going to speak to me in some way through that word. And so one of the things I started doing early in, in my Christian life was I would take notes. And if nothing else, I would try to come away with at least one or two things that I thought God was really wanting me to be attentive to. So nowadays, whether we do it maybe on a, on a, on a phone note or whether we use the handout that has the, the, the note section there, which is why we put it in there. The point is, hopefully, to be able to get something that allows us not just to put in the hour and to be able to, to have this time of worship. And then we leave and we go on the rest of our day and perhaps the rest of our week. And maybe we were a little bit of affected by it. But the idea is that we try to really commit this time to listening for the Lord's voice for our lives. And we want to learn something. And so jotting something down that maybe you hear, or perhaps you, if I can say it this way, that you feel the Lord might say to you, you need to hear this, and you need to write this down, you need to think about this and pray about this and talk about this maybe a little bit. Maybe sometimes just one or two things that we can sit with for a week can be for us a tremendous point of nourishment and strength. I've found that there have been times where I've come to the Lord's house and I wasn't expecting it, but I got, a, I got a kind of a word within his word. And that word became a point of spiritual nourishment that really helped me. Helped me actually, sometimes it could be for a week, sometimes it was, it was for a, longer than that. There's sometimes I've come to a service when, I was, when I've been, actually there have been times where I've actually been sharing it and as I've been preaching, I go, I felt like the Lord said, that's for you too, don't forget that, you know? <laughs> And I, and, I, and I don't. I realize that. It's one of the unique blessings that comes from being able to have the privilege of sharing scripture, teaching, is that oftentimes the person we most teach are ourselves. So, anyway, Luke 19. Let's look at this together. It says, he entered Jericho, was passing through. Now, that's Jesus. There was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector, and he was rich, Two things, we are told immediately. Jesus is making his way through Jericho. And there's this man, Zacchaeus. He's described in two ways. With great brevity by Luke. He was what? A chief tax collector. We know that. And he was rich. And the two were not a coincidence, I assure you. Because in Jesus' day, and I, th- I think some of us know this. I wouldn't assume all of us do. But tax collectors, sometimes you'll see them referred to a, ta- a tax collector was sometimes referred to in the scripture as a publican. Um, But a tax collector was someone who essentially collected taxes on behalf of Rome. That meant that a tax collector was probably one of the most despised people you would ever come across. Because in addition to them collecting taxes, which should be bad enough, and the type of taxes they collected, again, on behalf of a foreign empire, Right, who was laying down the law and taxing them, it seemed, at every place and in every corner, income taxes, custom taxes, you know, grain taxes. There were taxes and fees because Rome had this huge engine 
and it needed to be fueled. And the way it was fueled was by the territories that it conquered, and they would exact tax from them. And of course, the Jewish people, they were fiercely independent, and yet they had to submit to Roman rule. They were given a high degree of autonomy. That is, Rome allowed them to sort of have some self-governance within a framework. They had their religious freedoms. They had their own religious councils. They had some ability to mete out justice, but they could not actually have someone put to death. That alone was Rome's prerogative, which explains why later on when Jesus is arrested, he has to be brought before Pilate, because even though he could be sentenced and condemned by the Sanhedrin, he could only be put to death with Roman approval. Hence, Pilate has to sign off on it. And that's a whole other story. But the fact of the matter is Rome had, had oppressed the people but had given them also a lot of freedom. And so oftentimes what would happen is the people who were responsible for collecting taxes were people who were hired by Rome. And they weren't actually given a salary in a strict sense. They were given authority. And the authority they had was to, to tax people and to collect those taxes. And then if they wanted to, they could tax a little bit more for themselves. And so they extorted people. And oftentimes, it was somewhat arbitrary. If you've ever had your baggage checked, you kind of feel intruded upon. At any time, you know what I mean? At any time, they could pull someone over, say, we need to check this to make sure you're, you're paying your custom fees. They could arbitrarily begin to pull something and have you have to pay it. It, it created this tremendous, it was like there was a lot of tension between tax collectors. And that's why oftentimes, when they're referred to, they're referred to with like, what would have been in their day a, the class of the most immoral of immoral people, right? The immoral, they would talk about, you know, the prostitutes, and then they would say, and the publicans, the tax collectors. Because in their mind, they were traitors, and they were active agents on behalf of a, of a, of a foreign empire to extract money, and they were corrupt on top of it. So not only were they betraying their own people, but they were... They were unjust and criminal, and yet under the guise of the law could do whatever they wanted. It just created this tremendous bitterness towards them. Now, we're told that Zacchaeus was not actually a tax collector. He was a chief tax collector, which means not only was he despised like a normal one, he was even more despised because he oversaw them. And he had a lot more power, and he was a lot more wealthy. It was almost like an organized graft, right, on a system. And they could pull out money. It was, anyway, this, Zacchaeus was not viewed as a good man. Just keep that in mind. All right, we go down here. And, and oh, and you know what's interesting? I was looking, his name, I mean, almost his name meant, if you look at the definition of Zacchaeus' name, his parents named him that name. And it, you know what it means? It means pure and clean, <laughs> which is so ironic, isn't it? Because it was the exact opposite of what he ultimately ended up becoming. I mean, he was essentially a legal criminal who exploited his people and got himself wealthy. The only other thing that went along with that, though, was when you did that, you could be wealthy, but you were an outsider. Because the people couldn't get you back, really. Even if they took you to court, the court was always going to be on the side of, it seemed, that's how the court survived themselves. So it was a system that was rigged. Having said that, he, you know, he, he was somebody who was wealthy, but he was an outsider. So not all outsiders were poor. They was a, he was an up-and-outer. He was a pariah. He was, 
He was someone who maybe he had money and whatever friends he could buy and perhaps a few others who were his associates in, this, in the kind of work that he did. But truly, here's the thing. Zacchaeus probably was a lonely man and he lived his life at some degree, although wealthy, he lived it with a stigma, knowing that he was despised. And so that colors what we're about to see. Look what happens here, verse 3. Uh, it says he was seeking to see who Jesus was. Now we're giving some added details here, right? But on the account of the crowd, he could not see because he was, he was small in stature. So we're told that he actually was not a tall man. He was a very small man. And he was really intrigued. He wanted to see Jesus. Perhaps he had heard about him. Uh, perhaps he had heard about his words. Perhaps he heard rumors that Jesus actually was friends sometimes with people like him. That was the rumor anyway. Jesus at this time was kind of a celebrity. When he would go in, people, the crowds would come around him. It was sometimes hard to get near him. In addition, Jesus had his own kind of entourage, if I can put it that way. Not that it, it was that way, but he had his disciples and other followers who would attached themselves to him. And so when Jesus made his way through a town that hadn't seen a lot of things, it was actually big news. And there was a lot of rumors about Jesus. Jesus. He, had, he healed people. He said things that nobody else was saying. Some people begin to whisper that he was Messiah. He was the one who God had promised. There was so much about Jesus that would have been intriguing. We're told that Zacchaeus wanted to see him, but he, he, couldn't, he couldn't get through. He was small, and you can try to imagine in your mind's eye the crowd of people around Jesus, and Zacchaeus wants to see Jesus. He also wants to somehow get close to him, but he can't do it, we're told, because he was small. So what we're told is that he also probably has some degree of ingenuity because he ran on ahead. He saw where the crowd was going. Look at this. And he climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him. For he was about to pass that way. So Zacchaeus determines where Jesus is going to be going. He spies down and he sees a tree, a sycamore tree, and he climbs up that tree so that he can get a perfect view of the whole thing and see Jesus. That's the picture we're given. Now, a couple of things here. I, you know, we talked earlier about Sunday school and, uh, you know, I grew up as a boy in Sunday school and uh, that's what it was called back then. Now we call it children's church. But I was grateful because I, 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 didn't, I didn't have to sit in the adult service where I would know, understood nothing. Uh, I was able to go to the Sunday school class, and I looked forward to that. I would get to do crafts and different things. And in, in my day, they didn't have like, sets uh, for the, the kids that they do now and different things that are way more interesting. They had things like flannel boards with little felt cutouts, and you would... And, and, and yet, and color, I would color a lot, too. I remember that as well. And one of my favorite things to do was to learn about Bible stories. I love learning about the Bible stories. I had favorite ones. And every week, you never knew. You'd learn about a different Bible story, a different person that Jesus met, or a talk, something he taught. And, and you'd get to color. And I don't know. I just liked, I liked it. And certain ones stood out in my mind. I'm going to tell you right now. Zacchaeus was one of the ones that stood out in my mind. I love the idea of that, that little Zacchaeus climbing the sycamore tree to see Jesus and then the conversation that ensues. In fact, I remember learning a song. I think some of you know the song that I'm talking about. Now, you would have had to grow up in a, in a, in a certain kind of uh, little children's ministry. But if you ever did, you, you ever came around, around Zacchaeus, they would teach you this little song. And I remember I was going, oh, I can't remember that. What is that song that they taught me about Zacchaeus? Zacchaeus was a wee little man. A wee little man was he. And he <laughs> That's what it was. That's what it said. 
Zacchaeus was a wee little man, a wee little man was he. And he climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. <laughs> yeah, I remember that one, right? And, and then there was another, and as the Savior passed that way, he looked up in the tree and he said, Zacchaeus, you come down, for I'm going to your house today, for I'm going to your house today. That's what it was, I remember, right? So, you know, I'll tell you this. Oh, parents, the seeds you plant when you bring your little ones to church and get them, in the, get them learning the stories, they stay. The little songs, they stay. And even when they stray, and sometimes prodigals run away, that doesn't leave. It stays. Zacchaeus was a wee little man. Okay, you know what I'm saying. <laughs> see, Z, Zacchaeus, he wanted to see Jesus. But he was so small, and the crowd was so intense that he had to get creative. So you know what he does, right? He spotted that sycamore tree on the route, and he decided to climb it. That's called ingenuity. I, I came across this really cool picture, which for us is going to double as an eye test. I'll tell you why. I'm going to have them put it up. Now, that, to some of you, all that looks like is a tree right now. But there's actually things in the tree. Can you see them? Yes, there are five, I came, I remember coming across this, I love this picture, that's a sycamore tree, and there are, there are men in the tree looking, and I'm going, that's exactly what it would have been like for Zacchaeus in a sycamore tree. He's got himself climbed, he's climbed up into a tree, a lot like that, and they're just, he's just, per maybe there were other people, it doesn't even say, there might have been other people there with him, just like this. I love the way that it captures it. It's so cool to me. The idea that someone would just be able to sit on a tree and, and hang out, and, and that's, again, that's a sycamore tree, and hang out and look down on the passing crowd and passing by Jesus. I could see Zacchaeus right there. And that, to me, is like, oh, that's a perfect picture. Okay, and, and I, so all these years I've been saying, I want to use that picture, and now I did. All right, verse 5. <laughs> and, and when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down for I must stay at your house today. And so he hurried and he came down and he received him joyfully. Ah, it was a bit of a surprise. Everybody was a little shocked. They were caught off guard. The people for sure were because how could Jesus, you guys, how could Jesus associate if you knew who he was and everybody did? How could Jesus associate with a man like that? Yet alone eat with him? This rogue, this crook, this cold-hearted charlatan. What in the world? A man who's cheated us all? A vassal of Rome? A pathetic, small man in every way? What was Jesus doing with him? That was what was going on. And of course... I tried, I tried to think in my head, what was it like for Zacchaeus, right? He's caught off guard. He's caught off guard, as I call it. I mean, I see him in the tree, just one to look at Jesus. And then he's shocked when all of a sudden Jesus stops and says, hey, you. Look what he says. 
Zacchaeus, I know your name. I need you to get off that tree. I want to go to your house. I want to have a meal together. Zacchaeus, me? You want me to meet? Me? Really? Yes. Yes, absolutely. I've always wanted to do this. <laughs> I'm on my way. Yeah. All right. I never get to do that at Mission ever. They won't let me do it. There's no room to do it. <laughs> There's no room to do it. But I got to do it here. Yeah, Zacchaeus, you come down that tree. And he did. And he said, now anybody who was like, someone woke up and said, what, what, what's going on? What's going on? Okay. The thing about it is Zacchaeus was as surprised as anybody. He's going, what do you... Me. Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. It would be such an honor. People like you don't meet with people like me. Absolutely. Let me get down from this tree. And, And I can tell you this. The other people that were there, the disciples, and they're going... I think they also were caught off guard. Jesus didn't tip his hand ahead of time and say, hey, you know what? We're going to stop. I'm going to, ha- I'm going to see this guy in a tree who nobody likes. <laughs> and then I'm going to ask him if, we can, if he could feed all of us. Like, he didn't say that to them. So they were on their way, and they stop, and they see Jesus having this conversation with the guy in the tree who nobody seems to like, who's super excited and now the next thing they know, they're making their way with Jesus to Zacchaeus' house for a meal that he invited himself over to have. And it says that when the crowd, look at verse 7, and when the crowd saw it, they all grumbled. They said, you know, is he, what is he doing? He's gone in to be the guest of a man who is, I mean, this, this is a known sinner. This is a bad man. And they were unhappy that Jesus would allow such a man to be his host. But that's exactly what, what happened. Now, the conversation, there's a gap. Can you see it? Between seven and eight. I don't know what that gap is. I don't know exactly what happened. I don't know much, how much time passed. But between verse seven and eight, somewhere along the way in that, that time when they were having that meal together and there was an exchange going on and there were a lot of conversations going on somewhere along the way and the Bible doesn't record it. It just, says what, it just tells us the outcome of it but it says that somewhere along the way Z decided to make a change. Zacchaeus made a change and what Jesus said to get him there, I don't know. But it says in verse 8 that Zacchaeus stood and he said to the Lord, behold, Listen, listen, I need to say this. I need to say this, and I need to say this in front of everybody. Behold, Lord, half of my goods I'm going to give to the poor I am. I've decided to disinvest myself of half of my, my net worth. And, then I'm go- and if I have de- defrauded anyone of anything, and there were a lot of people he had defrauded, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to restore it fourfold. That's what I'm going to do. And you know what he does is he demonstrates that his heart had been impacted by the embrace of Jesus. That's what it tells us. And in his case, the act that most shows it is his generosity. Verse 9, and Jesus said to him, today I tell you, I, Jesus, interesting. Zacchaeus' declaration is met by an even more intense declaration, for I can see Jesus rising up right behind that and saying this. I tell you, today... Salvation has come 
Come into this house. Since he also is a son of Abraham, a man of faith. For the son of man. And then Jesus turns it from Zacchaeus to himself. You see, what, see the shift there. Zacchaeus makes his statement. This is what I'm going to do. And Jesus makes his statement. I tell you, salvation is coming to this house today. And then Jesus says, and here is a true son of Abraham, a one who, who is believing and acting on that belief. And then he says, and the son of man. And it's like he turns, I mean, he can't contain it. So like he says, the son of man himself. This is what I have come for, to seek and to save that which is lost. That's power. It's powerful. So here's the deal. Wrestle with me on this. But I'm going to suggest, and we'll just put this up as kind of the access point, or we'll call it app number one. But Christian generosity begins when we seek the one who is seeking us. I love that. This all began because Zacchaeus wanted to see Jesus. The wealthy man was willing to climb a tree to see him and be a little bit undignified. And that speaks to me of humility and effort. In James 4, 8, it says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. So I guess here's the deal. Is there a tree that God is wanting us to climb? An action. This is what I mean by that. A tree that he's wanting us to climb an action or a positioning that he wants us to take, something that's going to position us for a breakout moment, perhaps it's an attitude that we're, to, we're supposed to hold on to. There's been a few times in the last couple of years where I felt like the Lord said to me, you need to be a lot more positive than you're being. Your words are not helping you. Your words are hurting you. And there are times where I, the Lord may say to us, you need to watch these words because your words are speaking things that are going to plant things into you. And we don't want that to get lodged there. Or I want that dislodged. There's been a few times where I thought, Lord, the Lord said to me, you know, you need to be patient with the process. Very hard when we don't want to do that. There are times where the Lord is saying, you need, I told this to someone last night. I said, you know what, maybe the Lord is saying to you, you need to be more gentle on yourself right now. I've said all those things to myself. There are times where the Lord, we come to these crossroad moments in our lives, seasons of question or pain or maybe a season where we're discontent with the direction our life is going. And so we seek him in earnest only to find that he's seeking us. Zacchaeus, he starts to seek Jesus, but what happens is by the, Jesus is the one seeking him. And so there's this amazing moment, right, that occurs. And I love the fact that that can happen in our lives where the Lord is saying, look, I need you to, what is the, the tree he's, he's, he's wanting us to climb that's going to get us in the position where he can say the words he wants to say that will change our life in the way he wants it changed? Some of us, it may be, may be taking some things that we've been doing and shifting them around for others of us, it may be an attitude shift that God's trying to get us to stick with for a period of time. For others of us, it might be that, you know, I want you to commit yourself to reading my word or serving or being in a, in a group uh, where, where you're going to be sharp. And I don't know what the Lord says to it. I know this. There are times where God's saying, there's something I want to do, but you're going to need to do this to get there. And I love the fact that Jesus invited himself over. I, that thing's just, I love that. I call it the... The, the holy intrusion. 
right? Because there are times where he, he invites himself over to cultivate a life that overflows. There's our theme. He intrudes upon our ordinary to, to work in us the extraordinary. He, he comes into places sometimes we weren't expecting and in ways we didn't expect. There's no way, there is no way Zacchaeus is thinking he's going to want to hang out with me. He didn't even think he'd ever be noticed. When he hears his name called, it shocks him when he's asked, can I come over to your house and you can make me dinner? That shocked him too, right? You know what? There's, there's a great verse in Revelations 3. I love, it's a perfect corollary for me. Look at this, Revelations 3.20. Look what it says. Look, Jesus says this. Look, I stand at the door and I knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in. And look at that last phrase. And we'll share a meal together as friends. That's Zacchaeus. That's the story. That's it. That's exactly it. Jesus is knocking. Let me in. We're going to share a meal together. Now, I, as friends, I love that. One of the underrated pleasures of life, you know this, is eating together with friends and family. It's, it's one of the gifts we often take for granted. The simple joy of sharing a meal together and talking in an environment where there's trust and love and assume goodwill and honest, authentic kindness. This is friendship, right? right? It's awesome. And Jesus, can you hear, can you hear that, that verse again? Because what does it say he wanted to be? Stand at the door and I'll knock and then... What, that last one, and I will, I will come, I will come in, and I will share, and we will share a meal together as friends. Don't let's don't zip past that. What is G, that's Jesus saying? He wants to come and share a meal as a friend. That implies that that's a what kind of description is that of the Savior? Because a friend is someone we enjoy spending time with. A friend, it's like, it's someone we want to be with. A friend is someone who knows us and we know them. A friend is someone who, who's kind. And again, it has all these other things that go along with it. Who's interested. There's open dialogue and exchange. The fact that Jesus says, I want to be your friend, to me, is a, just an, aspect, a, an amazing aspect of God's love for us. Because there's a lot of times people get afraid of God. There are a lot of times people, some of us may not, may not always understand him. And yet, what is the Lord saying? I'm your savior, yes. I'm your teacher, yes. I'm the promised one, yes. But I also, guess what I am? I'm your friend. You're my friend. I'm your friend. But Lord, that's kind of like below you to be my friend. You could be my boss. You could be my manager. You could be my king. You're my savior. You're my lord. But my friend? That's like very casual, isn't it? I will be your friend. And by the way, a friend who sticks closer than a brother. A friend, as the old hymn that says, when other friendships, friendships cease, will still remain. A friend like this. Friendship with Jesus, fellowship divine. Oh, what blesses sweet communion. Jesus is a friend of mine. That's the, the friendship of Jesus. The, when you have a friend, a true friend, you have a closeness and a bond. 
and a sense of safety. That's what real friends are. And they will at times tell us the truth, but it is done in love. See, so that's, that's true friendship. And I can't think of any better friend than Jesus. We can go to our friend. Other relationships, Lord bless them all, may fail us. But here is one who will not fail. Through this life, into the next, and along the way, Jesus, my friend and my Savior. Two, welcoming Christ's presence often creates a turbulence within us that primes us for an overflow of grace, repentance, and breakthrough. Hopefully leave that up long enough. I'm ta- that's an interesting word, turbulence, isn't it? It means um, disturbance. Like on a plane, you know, you hit turbulence. <laughs> my wife's classic. She's here today, so I have to be careful. But there are times where we've been on a plane and we've hit turbulence. It's like, you know, and all of a sudden, right? That hand grips my hand like it's like we, we are really connected at that moment. And, and there's been times where I said, you know, you're, you're hurting me. You're hurting me right now. And the thing is, when turbulence hits, it has a way of focusing us. Whatever else has been going on, I mean, some, for some of us, getting into a plane is scary enough. Then we hit turbulence and it's like, oh my goodness. Right? I'm in this tube, in the air, <laughs> flying. <laughs> and it's scary. And I'm not trying to make light of it, because I know for some of us it's really scary. It really is. And uh, I've always said, whenever I get on a plane, I say, Lord, I place my life in your hands. You want to take me home earlier than I planned? I'm ready to go, because you know better than me. That's what I do. I just do that. It helps me. I don't know how to say it. I, I'm really deviating now. But the fact of the matter is, when it comes to turbulence, <laughs> in turbulence, a lot of times when God's word comes to us, we say, oh, that word is gentle and peaceful. No, not always. Sometimes when the word of the Lord comes to us, it's designed to shake us, to hit us, to make us wrestle. We start having, it churns within us. It starts confronting us. His word confronts us. It, it's, it's designed to graciously move us in a way sometimes that will provoke a change that we would not have otherwise been willing to consider. In Zacchaeus's case, his change is a direct connection to the word of the Lord coming to him. And as he's listening to this word, he's letting it settle into his heart. He feels compelled to respond to that word by making a change in his life. Perhaps it was the change he wanted to make anyway, but just couldn't get the strength to do it. But when Jesus gave him that word and he, he, it, he moved into another place, that's why I called it a breakout. Because that, sometimes those breakout places are a result of churning. So let's not be afraid of the churning. Let's not be afraid of the churning places. Let's not be afraid of the places we have to wrestle with God because out of that's where the name change comes. That's where the pro- a new promise emerges. It's okay. Wrestle with the Lord. It's all right. It happens. Sometimes his word will, will force us to, and that's where grace comes from. That's where repentance comes from. That's where we change. That's where breakthrough occurs. That's where a new, a new opening emerges that wouldn't have happened otherwise. It didn't come easy. It's the travail that brings the child. It's costly. There's work in it. But it's okay. It's okay. Because God is in it trying to do something. In Zacchaeus' case, he was trying to work in his life quickly now. That's when the spring comes. But three, generosity is the overflow and evidence of God's genuine work in our heart. No matter, It's always an issue of the heart. It shows up in the way we live and love. 
but it's always a work of the heart. In other words, relationship with Jesus and true repentance will show up in our stewardship and generosity of our lives. It may have to do with, with how we work or do business, manage our life, our resources, how we honor God with our first fruits. We've been talking about this in overflow, our tithes, our offerings. But when we really have it inside of our heart, these other things come out natural. It affects our ethics. When the Lord's working in our heart, just like it did with Zacchaeus, it affects our morals, our life choices. A, a confession of Jesus that has no effect on these things is not much of a confession at all. It's designed to, conf- to affect our definition, understanding of success. It's designed to affect how we work through pain and suffering, disappointment and delay, which are different things. It's going to affect our kindness, our generosity. It's going to affect how we relate to people, people we love, people who we don't know well, how we treat people who we think are less than us. Do we even, can we even think that anymore? It's interesting, I was, I was watching my, my mother, she, she lives in Oregon, she, she turned 70 a couple years ago, and what was kind of amazing about her for me is I watched her in her late 60s rededicate her life to Jesus. And when she did that, she had been, she, she had a couple, she's been running, she has a couple of small restaurants that she runs up in Florence, Oregon. And, uh, I watched how the reawakening of her faith, which was kind of a return to first things for her. I watched how that reawakening, which occurred at a time in her life when you thought maybe things would have already been set, but in her 60s, she has this, this like internal renewal in Jesus, finds a home church, gets reconnected to her roots. She used to teach, by the way, she was one of my first Sunday school teachers. She was actually a pretty good teacher. I remember it. And I, but I remember watching her take this circuitous route. And we talk about it, and I hope she's okay with me sharing this. But she, she took a few decades and drifted. And to see her return back to where she was in her love for Jesus, it, it blessed my heart. Um, a gift I probably have taken for granted. But one of the things I noticed when I started listening to her was the change that it made in the way she managed her restaurant and that she owns and what she started doing. I started watching how she was talking about people who are working for her. And it's always a fine line when you run a business because you have to, on the one hand, you have to watch the bottom line. You can't allow for certain things to happen. But on the other hand, you have this, if you have a heart that the Lord wants you to have, you start to care about the people who work for you. They're not just being used. They're not things. They're people. And you start loving people using things, not loving things using people. And I watched how she started to actually shepherd. I said, you know what you are? You're a shepherd of your people. You're a pastor of your restaurant. That business, the Lord gave you a shepherd's heart for it. And I've watched her love people differently. I've watched her help people along. I've watched her help her employees. I've watched her try to get even them to sometimes go to the Lord's house. And she's invited. I've watched that. I was going, you know what? That's real. That's showing up in your life and the way you're treating people, the way you're running your business. It's real. It's not like disconnected religion. It's real. It's the way of Jesus showing up in what you're doing. I'm impressed. I'm, I'm inspired. Bless you in Jesus' name. And that's the, this is the last thing I'll say, and we'll just leave it right here. When this happens, 
Uh, do we notice this is the last day? Do you see how this affects Jesus? Say, what are you talking about affects Jesus? Zacchaeus' commitment to positive change and, gen- and repentant generosity got Jesus excited and rejoicing. The happy man lashed out in praise. I tell you, salvation is coming in this house. It's happening right here. I try to, you read that, you go, oh yeah, salvation has come into the house. No, Jesus was excited. I'm telling you, this is what it's all. He's reconnecting to his mission statement, which is when we're at our best. I've come, this is the exact thing I've come for, to seek to save the lost. Ah, now we see the true son of Abraham, one who's following in the way of the example we've been given. This is what I'm talking about. That's what Jesus was saying. Just right there. Because his heart was moved. And I thought, Lord, when, when we respond this kind of way to you, when we become like this, and by the way, that's why our church even exists. It's to do this mission. That's what we're about. Ah, thank you, Lord, for that. That's why generosity matters. Faithfulness matters. About the, that's our mission. All right. I'm past the time. Let's pray together. All right? Here we do. Lord, I thank you. The joy of being able to share your words in your house. Your house is where your people gather in your name. Keep our hearts soft before you. Help us not to get too disappointed with things that don't go the way we think they should go. Don't let us get tied up in knots. Some of us, sometimes we're our own worst enemy, fighting our own battles on the inside, can't get freed up. You want to open us up to new things. I ask that you would give us peace of mind, but if it means having some turbulence to get there, so be it. If it's the turbulence that comes as we wrestle with your words for our lives. Some of us are at a stage in life where we're afraid of things. It's okay. You're the Prince of Peace, but you're more than that. And may this be on our lips. You're our friend, our faithful friend unto the end and beyond that. Help us to walk with you, enjoy who you are, Lord, better, not take you for granted, share our heart, listen for your words. That's called relationship, and that's the best kind. We just welcome you. Bless our our closing time of giving. Bless the song that, that really does connect back into everything we've shared here. And let us go back into this week and maybe hold on to something, a phrase, a word, a thought, something that you, you meant for us to have that affects us in some way. And if nothing else, remember that, that silly pastor who sang that little song and jumped off the stage trying to tell your story. We love you, Jesus. Keep our love for you real and alive. In your name we pray. Amen. All right.